Horton is faithful 100%. So we're talking about this weekend is excellence and faithfulness. Last week, we spoke about excellence and character coming out of the letters to Timothy. And um, we did that hand thing at the end. Maybe, I don't know how many of you remember the hand thing, but uh, those five things that, that Paul says to Timothy, he says, now don't let people shoulder you out of the way because you're young. But be an example to the believers in five ways. What you say or how you say it. What you do, how you love, how you trust, and wrap it all in purity. It's, that's a handful deal. That's what that was about. What I say, what I do, how I love, how I trust, and what's the purity in it? How is that shot through with purity? This week we're talking about something close. It's excellence and faithfulness, or I've dubbed it for those of us folks out west, someone to ride the river with. Now, some years ago, my father-in-law introduced me to a western writer by the name of Louis L'Amour. Anybody know Louis L'Amour? You know, I love it because just the good guy always wins, you know. Shoot that guy inch over his bull Durham sack and kiss the horse and ride off into the west. That's kind of how the deal goes. But they follow a whole family across the United States states called the Sackets. And whenever they found somebody of character, somebody who stuck with it, somebody who had your back, they said, that's someone to ride the river with. And uh, so that's what we're calling it, someone to ride the river with. And if you're an English major here and you say, we don't end phrases or sentences in a preposition, trust me, the Clinch Mountain Sackets don't care about prepositions. So (laughs) that's where we are. Last night was a very moving time for me. There was a couple in the congregation that um, I told them afterwards I couldn't look at them. We had met in 1970. Bill and Susan were young people at the University of Illinois. We were pastoring a church there, not unlike this, not this large, but not unlike this. And in 1970, some of you can remember, the whole world was on fire. Vietnam was big. They were having riots on campuses We had tanks and 5,000 National Guard troops at the University of Illinois. They had curfews. They were arresting students by the hundreds for protesting the war and all kinds of things. The SDS Weatherman, the radical group, blew up the chemistry building at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. All kinds of things going on. And in the midst of that, all these young people were coming to Jesus. In the midst of this tremendous tumult, people were looking for answers and truth and Bill was a master student in electrical engineering, building an electric car. He told me last night the system that's being used today to build electric cars is exactly what he was working on 38 years ago. But he came as a result of somebody inviting him and somebody invited his soon-to-be wife. And But they were way out in a different place. They were in a different universe when they started coming and attending and being a part. And to see them 38 years after the fact with four children, all of them following Jesus, and Bill and Susan themselves are missionaries in a country overseas, uh, it was almost more than I could handle when thinking about the faithfulness of God. You never know how things are going to work in life, but when you think about the faithfulness of God, when you think of someone to ride the river with, 
That's who we need to think about. There are two or three scriptures that um, are parts of letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And I want to read them this morning. They're going to be on the screen. We referenced one of them at least last week. And um, Philippians, the second chapter, the 19th verse and following. This is what Paul writes to his friends at Philippi, this town in northern Greece, about Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. There's that that reliability phrase. You know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Now he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, the first verses. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men. There's that phrase again. Entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And then later on in his second letter, the fourth chapter, the sixth verse, Paul knows that he's coming to the end of his life. Tradition says that Paul probably, he died as a martyr uh, in probably A.D. 68. So he's getting to the end, and this is what he says. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Timothy is described as proven. He's encouraged to hand off to guys who are reliable. And Paul says, I've hung in. I have kept the faith. This, um, this idea of trusting or having faith or entrusting, um, in its active sense, it's one who trusts. In its passive sense, it's one who is trusted. But there are only two or three words with a bunch of variations that are used in the New Testament for this language. It's kind of like Lego. I brought some Lego this morning. I got this out of the Lego bin at our house. We have thousands of these. I have discovered some of them walking barefoot in the night. How many have done that? It makes you, it makes you call out in the night, so to speak. But this idea of trust is the foundation from which other things are built. Now, I'm not a great Lego person, but you just you build stuff with it. It's not just faith, but it is faithful or faithless or little faith or reliable or proven. It's got all those pieces to it that I can't quite put together here. So I'm going to hold them with my thumb and fake it. And you have but you build you build a family of words like trust and faith and entrust and faithful. And you put prepositions with them like by faith and through faith and in faith and with faith. You find these words all the way through the Gospels and through the New Testament. And we are encouraged to pursue it, to embrace it, to be overrun by it. The idea of faithfulness, the idea of faithfulness carries with it a commitment in the face of the odds. 
It has a feel about it of longevity. When you think of faithfulness, you don't think of 32 seconds or a week and a half or something like that. You think of months or years or decades. It has an intentionality to it. Someone is making a decision that they're going to stay by the stuff. They're making a, a commitment of their, of their insides, if you will, a gut-level commitment that this is some, something we're sticking with. It has a deliberateness about it. It could be faithfulness to a person. It could be faithfulness to a task or a mission. It could be faithfulness to an idea or a cause. Interestingly enough, it's not defined by the size of the mission. It's not defined by the size. Sometimes, like in Paul's case, he says, everybody's left me except this person. He's just hanging out with me here in prison under house arrest. Or if you could, could you bring those parchments to me? Just this little thing. In God's economy, there's nothing too small to be faithful with or to. When, when we ask for folks, for example, to help with traffic, you say, well, that's not like spiritual. Have you ever been in bad traffic? I'm submitting to you it can be very unspiritual. Uh, I never talked to people in cars before I went to D.C., I, and I won't tell you, but I, anyway, that's a whole other subject. That's not even in my notes right there. I, but the, the small task, the thing that people say, well, nobody can see it, it's inconsequential. The most profound thing about this building is what you can't see. It's the foundation. The most significant part of this building is what it's built on. The most significant part of faithfulness is what it's built on. It's built on faith. The, the idea of faithfulness is the, uh, is the dog, the pet that, come, the, that comes and lies on the, on the master's grave when he's gone and won't leave. Because he's still protecting. He's still loyal. It's the, it's the day-to-day tasks executed out of love. We have ten grandchildren, as many of you know, and especially with smaller ones. Young moms get up and they just, day after day, they're fixing lunches. They're doing stuff. They're doing backpacks. we got got to get them to school. I, you know, I like going to the grocery store, to Safeway or to King Supers or one of these. And you go in there and you see a young mother walking down the aisle by herself. Her eyes are kind of glazed over. And I just want to go over and say, is this your hour out for the week? Is this... How many young moms know that's true? That's, you know, just being able to just get a little space. That because it's the day-to-day task, faithfulness in that. It's what we see in the faces of elderly couples who have been married 60, 65, 75 years. You know, they're pretty well up there when you've been married that long. But these are folks who have loved so well and lived together so long and laughed so earnestly together that after a while they start looking like each other. It's just, you know, I'm just praying Ruth doesn't start looking like me. You know, that's the frightening part. But the root of it all is faith or trust. The best model of it, of course, is God himself. There's a word in the Old Testament, a Hebrew word, that sounds a little bit like you're clearing your throat. It's chesed. It would be a hard H-E-S-E-D, chesed. It's most often translated loving kindness or loyalty or mercy in the Torah and in the other places in the Old Testament. But it 
but it conveys with it and it is linked with many, many times faithfulness. God, your loving kindness and faithfulness. It's almost like your loving kindness and mercy expressed in the fact that you hang in with me. I'll never get over that. That's the, that's the sense you get when you see that word. It carries with it the idea of covenant loyalty. And it, it means at its core a covenant of God with his people and his people with their God, but also covenants between us that somehow in this, in this trusting of God and sensing his faithfulness, it works out laterally in how we treat others. That our word is our bond and that we're staying with it and so forth. But it starts with God and his commitment to us, how he sees us. He sees us as designed in his image. Back in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. That's the peace he's looking at in us. About six weeks ago, Ruth and I were back in Washington, D.C. for what is called the National Prayer Breakfast. The National Prayer Breakfast started in 1953, in February, in the Eisenhower administration, because there were some folks in the House and the Senate who met in little breakfast groups who felt that they should be praying for leadership, as it says in the Scriptures, pray for those in authority. And so they said, why don't we do an event where we focus on praying for the first family of the United States? And so the first presidential prayer breakfast was held at the Old Mayflower Hotel up on Connecticut Avenue with 200 men only, And they had a parallel one for women. And then in the 60s, they blended the two. And now, this past February the 5th, on a Thursday morning, there were 3,600 people from 182 nations. There are only 200 independent nations in the world, 182 nations. Many of them were there for all kinds of the wrong reasons, but they were there. And during this time, uh, of course, the president is there, the vice president, others, but the speaker varies from year to year. And um, hardly ever in 57 years has it been a religious speaker or a clergy, because this is a, what we would call a lay-led event. These are not clergymen or pastors or priests who are doing this or rabbis. And the speaker this year was former Prime Minister of Britain, Tony Blair. Now, when a, when a political leader speaks of faith, they're walking the razor's edge because there's hardly any way they can frame things in order to not offend somebody. That's just how it works. But in the, in the early part of his talk, Tony Blair shared just a little anecdote from his childhood that I thought that, that illustrates the point that we're making here about how God sees us. Uh, and I thought you might like to see it. Here's Prime Minister Blair. I remember my first spiritual awakening. I was 10 years old. And that day, my father at the young age of 40 had suffered a serious stroke and his life hung in the balance. And my mother, to keep some sense of normality in the crisis, sent me to school. And my teacher knelt and prayed with me. Now, my father was and is a militant atheist. And before we prayed, I thought I should confess this. I'm afraid my father doesn't believe in God, I said. That doesn't matter, my teacher replied. God believes in him. He is the God who believes in you. I'm saying, oh baby, because I'm not as faithful as he is. I'm not as strong as he is. How do I respond to that? Well, you trust him back. That's how we respond to that. We trust him back. 
Paul expresses these ideas throughout his letters. And I love that part where he says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. So the question is, how does faith work? I mean, where, where does the rubber meet the road? How, do, how does it express itself? How do you walk it out? And some of you have heard me share some of these thoughts before, and you're going to hear them again. Because there is something profound about how faith works, and I need to hear it every day for me. So here's the first one. It's on the back of your bulletin there. It's faith only works in the dark. Faith only works in the dark. If you have it all scoped out, if you've got the big plan, if you've got all the parts worked out, you don't need to trust God. I don't need to trust God if I've got it all squared away. You know, it just, it just, there's no need. But the fact is that trust only works in the dark. Listen to how what we call the faith chapter expresses it. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it lists all these people who trusted God. Some of them have great names like Abraham and Moses. And in the last part of the chapter, it's just no-namers. don't have any names. They're just people that are referenced. Listen to what it says in verse 8 of Hebrews 11 about Abraham. By faith, there's that preposition linked with it, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God said, Abraham, I want you to go to this place. I'll lead you. Come on. And Abraham had never been there. He'd never been that way before. He just trusted God. He just heard his voice and trusted God. Now, Abraham was a businessman. Many of you folks here are in business. He was a business guy. He apparently had significant holdings. He gets up. He's in this town called Haran. He's heading out of town, and he's got his whole family. He's got the camels. He's got every, you know, he's, got, he's taking his stuff. It's not Mayflower United moving van lines. I mean, he's just he's going. Now, if Rotary International had been in existence there, I would have loved to have heard the conversation with the president of Rotary from the local community meeting Abraham on the edge of town. Hey, where are you going? And Abraham gives him this great faith response. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm saying, what kind of a response is that? I don't know. Well, faith isn't about knowing where. Faith is about knowing with whom you travel. There's an old gospel song that goes, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. If you go to Westminster Abbey, you will find the grave of David Livingston. David Livingston was a missionary to Africa. He died in Africa. And they cut his heart out and buried it under a tree. And faithful friends, African friends, brought his body back and he's buried in Westminster Abbey. And there's a plate in the floor. And his prayer was this. Lord, go with me. Give me any burden. Only sustain me. Send me anywhere. Only go with me. Sever any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your great heart. Here is the God who says, let me show you how faith works. 
I'll just step out of the heavens and come to you. And you take your best shot. And that's the way I'll love you with it. This idea of faith only working in the dark is a real practical thing. Some of you here have taken a trust walk. That's where you, uh, somebody takes your hand and you close your eyes and you follow them. You, and I, so let's say I'm leading you and I say, now we're going between the podium and the chair right here, going past the Lego pieces, be real careful, and we're going over here and we're just going to go right over this direction. We're coming up by the monitor, we're turning real slowly. And I'm going to drop your hand and I want you to listen to my voice. And you start listening to my voice and I bring you back around and we come toward the edge and we turn around and you're listening to my voice. You can learn more in 10 minutes about faith than 12 sermons, 12 messages like this, because it's so compelling. We did this once with 200 men at a men's retreat in Illinois. We had them out in a grassy area near the highway, and we broke them up into teams of two. And they're holding hands and walking around out there. I have no idea what the motors thought of these guys wandering around out there. And, and the deal was that you did that for about five or six minutes, and then you dropped the person's hand and you called and so forth, and then you switched places, and the other person led. After a while, and of course, what happens is when they drop the hands and they start calling, Saying, Harry, over here. Not over there, Harry. Over here. And the problem Harry's got is the other 99 voices. And you're straining to hear the voice because you want to trust that voice. So we get him back in the auditorium and I said, let's have a debriefing. What would you learn out there? When, when, when in the course of following did you either open your eyes or want to open your eyes? One old boy said, when I felt the tree. <laughs> I said, when you felt the tree? He said, yep. We were in the sunlight and the shadow fell across me. I felt it. Because you can feel shadows when you're in the sun. I said, I felt it. And I opened my eyes and there was a tree 50 feet over there. But it felt real. And so I wanted to take control. I wanted to get it. How many of us in that moment when things get dicey, we say, I got, I got this one, God. I, we got this. Another guy raised his hand and said, when I got directions that were imprecise, like you're coming to some stairs sometime soon. <laughs> Not good. Not good. You know. Another guy said, when I got directions too late, like that was a log. Aren't you grateful for the God who is neither imprecise nor too late with his direction? I have a former FBI agent friend who says Jesus is the only person, the, the slowest person who is absolutely always on time. Because sometimes we're saying, I need some action here. I need, I need, and, but the Lord knows what the action is. And when I trust him, I sense what that is. And finally, there was an older gentleman. Had to be in his 80s. I didn't know that he, he had a couple of hearing aids. I didn't know if he was going to do it. He went out. He came back. His cheeks were flushed and pink. And I said, uh, you have a thought on this? He said, that was one of, one of the most exciting things I've done in a long time. And I said, why? He said, because for once in my life, someone else was responsible for the obstacles. When you trust God. He says, why don't, you, why don't you trust me and let me take responsibility for the obstacles? Why don't you let me, as the captain of the Lord of hosts, fight your battles? Why don't you let me lead the charge? Trust only works. Faith only works in the dark. Secondly, 
Faith is doing what you can do, not what you can't. Faith is doing what you can do, not what you can't. I used to, as a young guy, these guys would come through and talk and tell these unbelievable stories, stuff that was going on. And I'm 13 years old, and I'm sitting there drawing airplanes on the back of the whatever that was there and trying to focus and all that kind of stuff. And I'm saying, I'd ne- I'll never have faith like that. Not that much, however that much is. And Jesus comes along and says, what you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. And mustard seed is like fine pepper, at least Middle Eastern mustard, just like fine pepper. Faith is doing what you can do, not what you can't. I mean, listen to how it reads again in the faith chapter. Hebrews 11th chapter. And you've got all the greats here. You've got Moses. You've got Abraham. You've got Isaac. You've got Noah. You know, Noah built the big boat. You got Joseph. And you get down to verse 30. And it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Now, you remember Noah in here. Noah built the big boat. God said, We want you to build a big boat. It was over there again, not too far from where Abraham was originally. And he's building the big boat. And he's not on an ocean, he's on a river, but it's a big boat. And it takes him decades, decades to build the boat. I, I mean, I can just see it. Generations of teenagers after school say, why don't we swing by and see how crazy Noah's doing with the deal? That he Noah, what are you doing? He says, I'm building this. So what is that? He says, I don't know. I'm just building. What are you going to do with it? I don't know. How's it going to work? I don't know. Decade after decade. Well, you get down here to verse 30, 31, and it says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab. Because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. You know, the Israelites were coming into the land, and there's this town kind of on the border named Jericho, and they got these thick walls so thick you can drive chariots on them. They had apartments in the walls, and prostitute Rahab had an apartment there where she did business. And, and a couple of spies went in, and she hid them so they wouldn't be detected and they said, when we come in, hang a scarlet cord, just hang, hang a rope out the window, and we won't destroy your place. We won't kill you. And I'm saying, wait, 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 time out. She didn't build a big boat. I mean, she didn't lead like thousands of people out of slavery like Moses. I mean, all she did was to hang a rope out a window, hide a couple of guys in the Lord's saying, both. I didn't need a big boat in Jericho. What I needed was somebody to hide a couple of guys. And I'm saying, well, I could hide a couple of guys. <laughs> I, I could do that. Trust is following Jesus and taking the next step. It's taking the next step. I have a cousin who for many years was with a group called Youth with a Mission. And they were in Eastern Europe when it was still communist. The walls were up. And... Um, they felt impressed that they should go to West Berlin and open, or go to Berlin and open a coffee house. They, um, they got visas to go across Hungary, which is still in communist hands. They got on the train at night and started in, and 50 kilometers in, or 100 kilometers in, the guards came through, checked their visas, said these are the wrong ones, and they put them off the train in the middle of the night in Hungary. My cousin, his wife, and another guy. 
And he said, David, he said, Dick, we were scared to death. We didn't know Hungarian. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't, all we had was three American dollars between us, and we didn't have now tickets to Berlin. They just put us off the train. And so trust is doing what you can do, not what you can't. So we stood and joined hands in the middle of the train station platform in the middle of the night and said, God, you know, up to this point, you've just embarrassed us with your blessings. You've just, you've just been so faithful, and we don't know what's going on with this deal, but help us. We need to get visas. We need to find some way through. It wasn't long after that a young British guy came and said, I think I know where we can get some visas, and they went, and they got some, and they came. But they didn't have tickets. But faith is doing what you can do, not what you can't. So they got in line. And now it was early morning, and people were coming to market and getting on the trains, and they got in line, and... And they got up to the front of the line, and Carol, his wife, was standing off to the side and praying. And they got up there, and they had three American dollars, and they put it down. And in German, I guess, because they didn't know Hungarian, they said three tickets to West Berlin. And the ticket lady just stood there and went, Carol's over here praying. But trust is doing what you can do, not what you can't. And all of a sudden, a woman in the babushka, you know, the little bandana, little kerchief, came winding her way through the crowd, walked right up to the ticket agent, put down money and apparently in Hungarian said three tickets to West Berlin and turned and disappeared into the crowd. And my cousin David is not a mystical person. And he said, Dick, I don't know that I've ever seen an angel, but they may be Hungarian. They don't. <laughs> Faith is doing what you can do, not what you can't. And finally, when we trust the Lord... We become trustworthy. As we trust God, we become trustworthy. His hesed, his faithfulness toward us, his loving kindness towards us, by osmosis starts working laterally through us. Because when you spend time with him and see his faithfulness, it doesn't just make you want to be faithful. It, in fact, in some way, and I don't know how this works by his spirit, makes us faithful. He helps us think about our word being our bond. He helps us not just walk away when it gets inconvenient. And I've got to tell you, I need his help that way every day in lots of ways. There's an old song, a hymn, a gospel song that has a lot of these and thous and dies in it that some of you know, and it just seems like we have to sing it. It's just one of those songs that fits right here. It's an old song, and Kevin's going to help me with it. And if I had more hair, this could be Simon and Garfunkel, for those of you who don't. But, uh, well, maybe not. But um, it's an old song called Great is Thy Faithfulness. And we'd like you to sing it. Just join us. Let's just sing it. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath Lord, unto thee, summer and, and winter and springtime and, and harvest, sun, moon and stars in their course. 
thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I love this verse. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. Let's thank Kevin for his good help in that, would you? Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. So a week ago last night, as I was talking about character in a service like this, a man named David in a hospital in Medford, Oregon, was moving toward Jesus. David's parents were there. His brothers were there and his sister was there. I've never met David, never met his parents. His name is David Powers. His parents' names are Boyd and Betty Powers. I've never met them. But I know his two other brothers, Boyd and Mark. Mark and his wife Janine I've known since they were students at Bethany when I was president of that little college. And we met back in 1970 and 1980. Then Mark and Janine went to Africa for nine years in Malawi and Zimbabwe or to uh, Malawi and Mozambique and Swaziland. In the last 12 years they've been with us in Washington, D.C. We've worked together. And Mark called me when he said, my brother David, it looks like he's dying. David was born perfectly normal, and uh, when he was four months old, he contracted spinal meningitis. The doctor said there's one chance in ten, in ten that he'll make it, and if he does, he'll be a vegetable the rest of his life. Well, he proved them to be something wrong there, and that he learned to talk and he learned to sing, but his mind was frozen at about four years of age. And um, his favorite thing was to play with coins, and to say scripture verses. He memorized commercials from television, and he could sing songs like church songs. I got a call on Saturday afternoon, and Mark said, what do we do? Because they say he has hardly any brainwave. I said, why don't you go in and uh, read him scriptures and sing him songs? And sing him home to Jesus. Many of you know that I believe that the spirit is deeper than the cortex of the brain. And though I don't know how to describe that neurologically, I've seen over and over again how people respond in those kind of situations. What I haven't told you is that David 
was 55 years old. And for five and a half decades, his parents had been faithful with him. His dad worked for 50 years in a sawmill in the town of Prospect, Oregon, a little tiny town of five or 600 near Crater Lake. And last Saturday afternoon, they gathered around his bed and they started singing songs. And about 6.30 in the evening, and, and the, the, the parents had at one point had to sell their home to pay for expenses to care for him. 6.30 in the evening, Mark said, I got down by his ear. And his eyes had been fixed all day, open and fixed. And I just started singing in his ear, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And his eyes swiveled toward me. And then I started quoting his favorite scriptures. And I got to the part where I said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when I got to the part of that where it said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Mark said, I stopped and said, David, you don't have to be afraid. It's okay. You can go home to Jesus. We'll take care of mom and dad. And in that moment, his spirit left his body. And he was home. And he was running for the first time in his life. Boyd and Betty Powers. Who are they? They are people who have been absolutely faithful to God and to this child, this man-child for 55 years. And I think God cheers. There's so many times in my life when I've wanted to break and run. There's so many times in my life when I thought it was too hard. There's so many times in my life where I just wanted to stop. And people have come along and in great grace have said, both it's too soon to quit. It's never too late to start over. Why don't you just hang in there and we'll be on you like glue. We'll walk with you. Some of you even this week may have said, God, I don't know about this. I just feel like I want to get out or get on or just, I just, I don't know. And the Lord is saying through his word, I know. I know what it's like to be faithful. Stay close. I'm staying close to you. Let's keep walking. It's not only going to be okay, it's going to be good. And the Lord says, Foth, are you someone to ride the river with? And I say, I want to be. Thank you for loving me the way you do. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? In just a couple of minutes, the prayer team is going to come and be here at the front. These are people of character, people who are faithful. And if you have something you'd like to just have them pray with you about, please, when I'm through with the prayer, if you would come to the front and just meet with them and with us here, we'd just like to take a moment with you and just, just affirm and believe with you for whatever it is. Father, here we are. You know us like the back of your hand. There's nothing about us you don't know. And the good news is you still want us. For those sitting here this morning who just have felt, felt the tension so strong this week that it feels like they're about to snap, by your Holy Spirit, pour your grace over them in this moment. And let them know that you who are the faithful God 
will also help them be faithful in these days. For those racked by fear who wanted to go, who didn't even want to come this morning, but they came for whatever reason, reward their faith in coming by putting a peace so deep in them that it goes beyond their understanding. We don't know how all this works, Lord, but you've been pretty clear that it works because we trust you and that you have trusted us and you've committed yourself to us with your chesed, with your loyalty. And we respond. Help us to do that with those around us as well. But we thank you for this day and we go in great hope because of who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen. Go with him this morning. The prayer team is here. Come and pray. Be with them. God bless you as you go.